0: Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and Embedded is back. President Donald Trump has no record of public service, but he does have a record in business and on TV. In our latest round of stories, we introduce you to the people who were there as he built an empire and a name. Listen on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. Every Tuesday on the show, we bring you a deep dive. Today, a conversation about Facebook. It's a very weird time for the company right now. Next month, reps from Facebook will appear before Congress to testify about political ads they sold to Russians. Those were ads that were apparently targeted at specific swing states in last year's election. One lawmaker said social media sites like Facebook have become so big so quickly, the sites can't keep up with how they're being misused. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's digital ad director has said publicly that Facebook was how they won, by targeting rural voters in particular. Anyway, all this is percolating, and we're sitting around the office last week hoping to bring you a conversation about it. And then a few days later, a really great journalist whose work you should know, Max Reed, he wrote a big cover story for New York Magazine, all about these issues. Max's piece is called, Does Mark Zuckerberg Know What Facebook Is? Zuckerberg is, of course, Facebook's founder and CEO. And the piece is all about what it means that the same company that gives us all birthday reminders also has a huge role to play in our democracy. Basically, Facebook itself is having a major identity crisis, and it's still unclear how this will all shake out. All right, here's me talking to Max Reed. We taped this late last week. Enjoy. (music) Enjoy.
0: I literally, like, remember the day it came out because I had Wait, a bunch explain. of friends who yeah. had had it. And it was sort of like, oh, man, everybody's on this Facebook thing. Got to get on it. Um, and Doesn't it feel so I, different now than what it was then? Doesn't it feel so different? I was talking to a former Facebook employee named Kate Lossie who mm-hmm. was employee number 50 and was Zuckerberg's uh, speechwriter for a while. Huh. And she, she and I had a long conversation about, you know, Facebook – Originally, really was just a social network. It was purely—you had a profile, you could look at other people's profiles, you could write on their walls. And there were no ads there, at first. There weren't ads, and there also wasn't this sort of surveillance streaming situation. river. There was no newsfeed. There was no streaming river that. of information. There was no newsfeed at first. And like, I actually, I, I would love to have a site like
1: that again. So clearly, Facebook is very, very different today. And the central question of your story was not a question that Facebook had to ask, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. But now the big question is, does Facebook recognize the new normal of this community, of this world that they've created? Um, Some of the news and information people get from Facebook is fake. Some of it is foreign propaganda. And for so long, Facebook wanted to be neutral but now they have to take a more active role, it seems, in curating this community. Uh, and they can't just be a neutral platform anymore. How is that working out for them?
0: Uh, not great. Um, you know, they think – I think that part of the last year, the sort of identity crisis has been about Zuckerberg's realization that Facebook can no longer sort of present itself as this neutral platform, as you said. Uh, it has to take sides. It has to reflect values. But um, – there's been a lot of conflicting ideas about exactly how it's going to go about that. So, you know, you read some of, he wrote this very long, 6,000-word oh, yeah. uh, manifesto earlier this year called Building Global Community and his idea about how values are going to get uh, put forward in the communities, the community, the large community of Facebook and the smaller communities within it, are that each community gets to sort of democratically set its own values. So, if one community doesn't want any nudity or sexualized imagery in its particular community, then it it can ban that stuff. If another community is open to that, it can have it. And when I say community, I mean everything from sort of the national level to the local level. So everything from, you know, it's uh, like nudity is is much less of a big deal in some countries than it is in others. But also if you're in a local church group, probably you don't want sexualized imagery. If you are in like a Burning Man group, maybe that's totally fine. Yeah. The problem is, you know, and this is not a, a new philosophical problem. This is sort of the problem with liberal democracy at all, hmm. is what happens when the values of a community are division, intolerance? You know, what happens when you have a highly engaged community of, say, white supremacists uh, or, of, uh, or of any kind of group that wants to shut other people out?
1: Or a highly engaged community of people that like sensational stuff more than non-sensational
0: stuff and are more Absolutely prone to right. lean into stuff that's not real. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about, like you know, you talk about hard right groups in this country who want to follow the particular kind of news that they believe is true, which is, you know, by any empirical standard, completely not true. And you end up with the Facebook people, they fall back on what they called the community standards. But there's this sort of tautological, well, community standards are set by the community and they reflect the community standards. So I don't think they've really thought through the part where you set those hard boundaries and those hard lines. And they're kind of just... They're sort of falling back on whatever a local government or whatever you know the loudest group of people wants, and uh, you know, in the case of something like Russian ads, this is a really clear cut situation where their status as a neutral platform has made them open to a really specific kind of manipulation, for which there's already this sort of regulatory body of yeah, law. Yeah. Um, so that the, so that it's like it's very this is this is like a nice clear cut object lesson in how Facebook can be misused because we already know and. The U.S. has already established that it doesn't want to let foreign governments, uh, you know, influence its elections. Yeah. One of the biggest conflicts
1: I felt coming away from your piece was all of the things and ideals that Zuckerberg and the company sets out through these manifestos and public statements. You know, they want to be a force for political good. They want to unite the world, want to build community. But the one thing they never talk about is how... The primary motivating factor for Facebook might just be gathering as much information and data from Mm -hmm. its users to provide to advertisers to make money. Like, is that really bigger than all of the other goals that Facebook professes?
0: You know, I mean, it's it's an interesting question because when you start to read and think through this stuff, you begin to talking, you begin to start talking about Facebook as an entity into itself that wants things, that has desires, yeah. um, you know, beyond what Mark Zuckerberg might want or what other executives might want. Hmm. Um and I don't want to anthropomorphize it too much. It's not a horror movie, it's not an AI or anything. It's a business. But, yeah, it's a business and businesses Uh, have goals and desires set outside and differently from like what an individual executive might want out of the world. And part of what Facebook wants to do is grow, you know, and Mm -hmm. it wants to grow because that's how it makes money. Mm -hmm. And the other way it makes money is by gathering data about the people who use it. It's got a business model that's been set in motion and that's so wildly profitable for it that, you know, it's not like anybody who works at Facebook right now is gonna turn around and say, no, 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 let's stop making so much money. Um, And so, you know, at the core of all of everything that's going on. I believe that Mark Zuckerberg wants to change the world. I believe that he wants to make the world better. But can you
1: be the person that changes the world and makes it better and be the same person at the same time who says, let me get all the data I can from all the consumers I can to make as much money as I can through advertising?
0: No, I don't think so. But does Zuckerberg know that? Or does he think that? Uh, I don't think. No, I don't. Th- I think he still thinks. Uh, I think he's still holding on to the idea that he can. And I, you know, I don't. I don't know the guy. I can't look yeah, into his yeah, head. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if this is a question where he's essentially fooling himself because he just doesn't. He knows he doesn't really ultimately have the power to look at his stockholders and say, actually, we're going to become a nonprofit and we're going <laughs> to, you know, change the world the way we should. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's because he still genuinely thinks. You know, there's a he gave a great quote to Bloomberg Business Week in an excellent article uh, from a couple weeks ago where he said, basically, uh, I don't know why we have to think about why the uh, interests of a business and the interests of humanity aren't aligned. And to me, that's an awful blind spot for somebody who's in charge of a company this powerful to have, to not be able to see exactly when profit motive and humanitarian motive are going to come into conflict. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk news for a little bit. Sure.
1: Facebook and Twitter – They're going to testify uh, about last year's election and how they may have played a part in Russia's plans to meddle in it. Uh, They'll be in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee next month.
0: What do you think we'll hear from Facebook? Facebook's in a really awkward position because they really want to minimize the effect of these ads that were purchased. But, on the other hand, their business model is based on saying that ads you buy on Facebook will influence people. Yeah. Um, And that's not just in the context of, like, shoes. That's in the context of actual elections. They have big and very lucrative political teams inside Facebook Mm -hmm. who are selling to campaigns Mm -hmm. the idea that Facebook can help swing an election. They've released— Which
1: in itself seems dubious. Right. Yeah. Like if you're saying, oh, we're just a community, but also we'll
0: help you swing an election. Exactly, and you know, if, like here's the sort of one of the funnier ironies of this is uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, his second in command at mm-hmm. Facebook, aren't going to testify uh, because oh. they're going to be announcing their earnings on that same day. <laughs> and so on November first, uh-huh. on the phone, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg are going to be talking about how useful and good Facebook is to advertisers. While in you know in the congressional testimonies, whoever gets sent from Facebook is going to be trying to downplay the effect of those ads. Um, You know, to answer your question more specifically, I really wouldn't be surprised if there more stuff is going to come out. I think, you know, everything that I've heard so far seems to hint that there will be more, uh, whether it's it's new accounts and new pages, whether it's a bigger scale than we thought initially. Um, But I think Facebook is scrambling right now to figure out exactly how much they got played. Yeah. I mean, because like on the one hand.
1: You want a company like Facebook or you think you do to not allow inherently false and disingenuous news stories to be on the site. But on the other hand, do we want to start the habit of asking what is the public square to tell us what we can and can't see?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really fraught question. And you know, if you've got about 45 minutes, I can just launch right into I do. I mean, it, look, I have I have a couple different thoughts about okay. this. I, the the first is that you what you say, you know, the town square, like I I think it's important to recognize that the fact that Facebook is the town square already puts us in a in a crappy position because hmm. we're ceding to a private corporation a public role. Yes, exactly. And yeah. you know, I've I have this fantasy of of having the government build a, a public option social network and Whoa, that's what you don't you, like that. the, you know the the greatest feat of networking before the internet was the US post office there's no reason why the huh? government couldn't build its own social network and on that you social do network you you know most
1: Americans don't like the post office right now
0: they're not like bastions of efficiency I, 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 I believe that the post office needs to be celebrated. I think it's the most amazing thing the government's ever done. I know. I know that it's like— And and we could do a whole other podcast about this. Probably will. But I do think that there's a— one thing that would help at least assuage some of this tension is having a social network that is guarant- that guarantees the provisions of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that says because this is operated by the government, like a public university, like a real town square, mm-hmm. your free speech rights are guaranteed on this network. And I think that that relieves some tension from places like Twitter, which focus so much on free speech and feel yeah. so uh, – feel that free speech is so important that they have trouble recognizing that they have the right to just kick people off by fiat. They're so nervous about being the town square mm-hmm. that they they're they're like literally unwilling to get rid of Nazis on the site, which yeah. seems like a bad way to run a business. So that's part like that's part one. That's okay. a that's a okay. pipe dream. Like who okay. we're not going to get a public option fantasy. I think <laughs> one thing we need to think about is how what we mean by free speech in yeah. a digital context. You know, when you talk about Free speech you know in the u.s you know you think a lot just about the ability to speak at all and i think it gets easy it's easy to get that conflated with your ability to speak and your ability to speak uh sort of no matter what so let's say on twitter i say something and all of a sudden i get 80 people in my mentions just Mm -hmm. screaming at me about Mm -hmm. whatever it is i said Mm -hmm. so i have a free speech right those people also technically have free speech rights but uh You know, I think we have to think about to the extent that they're able to do that, like what is – whose rights are being infringed? Like am I – you know, is more speech the same thing as free speech? Um, You know, the same way we talk about with the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment was written in 17 – whatever it was, 83 Mm -hmm. and was, um, you know, designed in an era when guns were muskets and they took five minutes to reload or whatever. And the right to free speech was written in an era when the printing press was sort of the operative technology. And I think that we need to—without losing what is designed to protect, which is the right of any person to say their piece without the state punishing them, that we need to think about how that right is being deployed and protected online. Um, and that's a really heavy and long-term project. Um, and, I, you know, I one thing I do appreciate about Zuckerberg is that he— He's thoughtful about this, that he does he does recognize that you can't just say, "Okay, all fake news is going to be, you know, any any news story that is not true is going to be kicked off Facebook because that gives Facebook a kind of power that it doesn't want that we don't want it to have. Um, But somebody is going to need to start making those calls.
1: All right. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back with more on Facebook and how they're all up in your life. BRB.
0: We'd like to thank our sponsor who brings you this message, Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes that there are some things that you just need to know. It's just another
1: way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security
0: alerts are free for Discover Card members. All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply.
1: Before we get back to my conversation with Max Reed, quick plug for another NPR podcast, Up First. One listener review on Apple Podcasts goes like this. I listen to Up First every morning on my walk to work. It gives me a great summary of the top news stories during the day and the upcoming week. Wake up with Up First tomorrow morning on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the things that I realized reading your piece is that Facebook's reach into our data and how we live our lives online is much more pervasive than I originally thought. <laughs> I realized, like, Facebook doesn't just see what you do on Facebook. If you're logged into Facebook and on your browser, they see what you do on every web page that has that blue little Facebook
0: button on it. It's yeah, crazy. It- it's unbelievable. And you know, if you're out you know, in the world and if you have location services enabled uh, on your phone and you open Facebook, Facebook knows where you are uh, in the world. And now they're trying to do this thing where they can see what physical stores you were in mm-hmm. based on geolocation and then send you ads based on that. Yeah. And, and you know, you have to remember, too, that Facebook doesn't just own Facebook. It owns Instagram. It owns WhatsApp. There's a host mm-hmm. of apps that you might open mm-hmm. where all of a sudden your data is getting hoovered up and uh, packaged together. And Facebook always tries to say, you know, it's anonymized. Like, you know, you can't attach location to name. But the fact is the data is so thorough and so precise that it's pretty trivial to – I Identify Exactly who you are, even if even with anonymized data. And, you know, that's a that's a really scary thing. There have been a a handful of studies and Facebook has denied this that have illustrated that Facebook will start showing like gay themed ads to gay people who haven't indicated anywhere on Facebook that they're gay. And that kind of thing is is scary, frankly. I mean, that's a real surveillance state just in the guise of a social network. Huh. So then knowing all of that
1: and digging really deep into that for your piece. Did writing your piece change the way that you consume Facebook? You wrote that you use Facebook a lot. Uh, Do you use it differently now?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, the thing is, I use Facebook, among other things, just for my job. As a reporter, Facebook Mm -hmm. is an enormously useful resource, both because it already has gathered all this information about people. It makes it very easy to find them, but also because sometimes the easiest way to reach people is to send them a Facebook message. So, you know, my sort of compromise is I'm moving as much of my data as I possibly can off of my Facebook profile, and I'm just turning it into a fairly generic profile to use for reporting. Part of this is just the sort of shiver that Facebook sends down my spine when I think about it too much. But the other thing to consider is that just one person moving off doesn't really do much. Like a company with two billion users, one person isn't – it's not even a drop in the ocean. It's not even like a grain of sand. It's something smaller than that. So, you know, as much as – one response that you hear a lot when you talk about this is sort of like, well, don't use it. Don't use it. And that's fair. But like a single people not using it, boycotts aren't really even going to be effective. And when you consider, as you say, like any website you go to with a Facebook button on it – even if you don't have a Facebook account, Facebook is gathering data about the browser that you're using, mm. and it recognizes you from site to site. So it still even has a profile of you somewhere. Yeah. So getting off of Facebook, it's not just you, deleting your account you or whatever. You actually can't really get off of Facebook
1: is what I hear you and, saying?
0: It, like you have to take some very severe precautions to do so. Um, you know, the EU has done a good job and I think could do an even better job of demanding privacy and data protections from big tech companies. If, you, if you're if you an EU citizen and you want it, you can request a file from Facebook with all of your data in it, all of the data they've collected. Wow. And I think that's like, that's a that's an interesting uh, proposition and a smart thing because it's it's fascinating when you have this sort of, uh, you know, you talk about data and it's sort of hard to conceive of, but if I tell you that Facebook has 200 printed pages of data about you, of websites oh you've God. visited, of things you've liked, of stuff you've done, you suddenly have a, a much better sense of exactly how much it's been collecting it. I really recommend there's a great Guardian story from maybe two weeks ago about a woman who requested all of her data from Tinder. And that's I maybe an even that. scarier one. Man. And that's the kind of thing that the U.S. just doesn't have that ability. And look, there's even bigger and more things that the EU could do. But you can't even do that in the U.S. You don't even have that right with respect to your to your privacy and to your data. So I think getting, uh, you know, the government involved as a public advocate for its citizens with these companies is like the most important step to taking some of the power back, but this is the thing that is a central
1: issue with not just Facebook, but Google slash Alphabet and Amazon. We know in the back of our heads that these companies have a lot of data on us. They surveil us a lot, but they also every day make our lives easier and a part of our lives that we can't really do without. Like I don't know my friend's birthdays without Facebook. <laughs> right. I could not live my life without Amazon bringing me stuff to my front desk in my apartment building every week. I can't be a journalist without Google. Right. And so are we willing to suck up the surveillance because these things
0: make life so easy. It seems I'm- like right now yes. I mean, I think so, too. Like, it just, it feels, I mean, you have to consider part of what the business model of all of these companies is, but in particular, Facebook is just giving us what we want. you Mm -hmm. know, that's like, especially Facebook and Google, too, is in order to sell advertisements, you need to have people coming back and back and back. And in order to bring people back, you need to just be giving them exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous business model. You know, there's a very dystopian kind of future you could think of where eventually the question becomes, what's... More important to us? The convenience of the tech companies that currently command all of our attention, or like having a clean and well-working democracy that we live in. And personally, I hope that we choose the latter. But convenience is a really powerful argument. And, you know, we're lazy people. Like, human beings are lazy. Like, if something is going to give us what we want, maybe that's more important to us than sort of self-determination over our political futures. That's not where we are now. That's decades and decades and decades into the future. But it is is worth thinking about it in those terms.
1: And it's also interesting to, like, hear you say, what will we decide? I'm not sure that... Large segments of America think that there's a focused and united we to make that kind of decision.
0: Sure. And Facebook certainly isn't doing anything to make us feel more like a we uh, who might make that kind of decision. Yeah. Yeah. It incentivizes almost
1: finding people like you and hanging out with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it also, you know, the other the other big way that Facebook changes or influences politics is it, turn, it ensures that politics and political thinking is understood as a component of your identity because what you do on Facebook is craft and construct your identity. And so you share political news on Facebook, not just to say, here's an important story. I'm thinking about this story. This is interesting to me. But to say this story tells you something about who I am. I share this mm-hmm. story because I'm a Republican. I share this story because I'm a Democrat. I share this story because I'm a, because I'm a gun. Owner. I share this story because I care about abortion rights. And that's not it's not like that's new. You know, politics is identity through and through, totally. it always has been. But Facebook structures our thinking in such a way that we we have trouble getting outside of it to thinking about how we create political mm. coalitions and how we mm. build movements and organize people around, you know, across differences, around issues like how do we take power back from big companies? How much
1: of negative press about Facebook is a reflection of how journalists see Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, for a lot of us, it is an existential threat. It's become yeah. the internet's biggest publisher, and it's a space that has all this editorial leeway, but none of the editorial or financial constraints that journalists in newsrooms have. And I think a lot of journalists, when they're writing these pieces that are
0: hypercritical of Facebook, a lot of it is coming from like the heart. <laughs> Do you think yes. that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I but I, I'll tell you why I don't think that's a problem. You know, like I think that you could say, "Oh, journalists—they just take it personally because Facebook's a rival." But to me, I think it's actually really important that journalists uh, have this kind of personal relationship to Facebook mm. because uh, we were there first. Kind of, it's that sense of I know what happened when Facebook blew through my industry like a tornado. Yeah. Like I, I was there. Yeah, I think a major thing about a major. Uh, Uh, sort of project for Zuckerberg and Facebook over the next uh, year is trying to make Facebook an integral part of community groups and yeah. and making face making sure that your church organizes itself on Facebook that yeah. your bowling league is organized yeah. around Facebook that the charities you belong to is and you can see how uh, that is a really valuable and useful thing for groups that want to have an internet presence who want to connect in that way So the question is what happens when you restructure your community group around around Facebook and then Facebook decides that's no longer one of its missions or goals or and then Facebook has some of the keys to your church. Yes. And that's exactly what happened to media. And, mm. you know, you can even see it happening around political parties right now in a kind of, uh, not in quite so specific a way, but as Facebook grows, all of a sudden the actual ability of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party establishments to determine, you know, the candidates of their parties becomes less and less powerful. They they, they no longer really have the ability to say, well, here are the, here are the appropriate mm-hmm. candidates. We're going to connect those candidates with the voters that we've amassed. Facebook can say, whoever you are. If you've got the money, we'll connect you with hundreds of millions of people tomorrow. Um, and when that happens, all of a sudden, the sort of coalitions that Republicans and Democrats have built break down. And you get candidates like Donald Trump, who mm. is whatever else, not a traditional Republican candidate. Mm. Um, and so Facebook is sort of breaking apart political parties in the same way that it broke apart media. Uh, and hmm. as, as you watch this happening, you know, if you were a journalist, if you were there when Facebook was sending us millions of pages views and, and making us think that we'd all be rich forever. And then also when Facebook took all that stuff away and, and suddenly threatened the industry, it you start to think, well, yeah. why wouldn't it do that to these other places? What should Facebook users be doing differently? More and
1: more Facebook users are reading articles like yours, kind of sounding the alarm on some really big issues for the company and for the world. What would you recommend that we, the people of Facebook, start changing or thinking differently about?
0: Uh, I, I mean, there's I feel like there's a lot of things that you can do, and I think maybe the most important thing is to have conversations about it so that a lot of people are thinking about these things. But, you know, I there's nothing— but no one has it. conversations. I will just make a post on their Facebook feed, man. It's <laughs> like, you know, beyond quitting Facebook, I think that what Facebook wants is information and content and data from you. So even if you need to f- keep Facebook for messaging friends or for keeping up with mm-hmm. classmates, you don't have to post to it all the time. You don't have to participate in the system— that it wants you to participate in. You don't have to contribute to it, especially not for free. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the other thing is to make sure that your, like, duly elected representatives are aware that this is a concern that you have. You know, I think that, as I've said before, I think that um, the U.S. government is not powerless to stop Facebook or to uh, arrest it or to regulate it or even to break it up. And what's important is that your representatives are aware that this is an issue that you're concerned about, that you think that Facebook needs to be looked at very closely. Um, And so it has to be both a like there is there is a personal commercial aspect to it about your relationship to Facebook, using mm-hmm. it less, deleting, whatever. But there has to be a political component too. There has to be an expression of uh, fear and anger and uh, a desire from your congressperson or your senator to swoop in there and fix this. Do you think any of those things will happen? I, you know, I try to be optimistic. It's so hard. <laughs> so hard this year. I try to be, I, you know, I think that um, what is going to hurt Facebook in the end is not that it is making people's lives worse, not that it is kind of this big surveillance state, but essentially that it's a threat to U.S. hegemony, more or less, that, that oh. like what is going to kick the U.S. government into action is the fact that Facebook represents uh, its own, uh, Facebook has a sovereignty all to itself and the U.S. Mm-hmm. government isn't like as, an, as a body is not going to like that. And so that's insane. eventually was going to check its power if facebook challenges america as its
1: own superpower yes wow all right last question then i will let you go i promise sure
0: are you going to write a big expose on twitter next <laughs> the next one I think that needs to be written is the Google piece. You know, Twitter mm-hmm. is Alpha so 8. important. Yes. Twitter is important to journalists. It's like, and it's it's a huge and important site for like political mm-hmm. discourse, mm-hmm. not least of which because the president's there. Yeah. But I think the only company right now that really rivals Facebook for its power over information distribution is mm-hmm. Google. That's the one that has some some approaching the same number of mm-hmm. users that has the same kind of control over what news gets out there and what what truth is but it's we know we think about it a lot less often because it has been so successful at turning itself into a sort of a pure utility instead of it's like a community that we have to think about interesting I could
1: do this all day this is fascinating (laughs) Um, I'm so glad you wrote that piece it raises a lot of interesting questions and it changed where that I see Facebook which is probably that's
0: (laughs) that's the best kind of compliment I can get thank you so much
1: alright man take care have a good one Max Reed Does Mark Zuckerberg Know What Facebook Is? That's the title of his cover story for New York Magazine. Read it, like it, maybe even share it on Facebook. I don't know. And as always, for our Friday show, send me the sound of your voice telling me the best thing that happened to you all week. Email that to me at samsanders at npr.org. And a special thanks to those of you out there uh, who listened to me outside of your phone this past weekend. We hit the radio for the first time ever on NPR stations throughout the country. Thanks to all the stations that took a chance on us and broadcast the show. And for everyone who listened, really appreciate it. All right, till Friday, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.